Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, this is Stu Hodum with Believe in the Media Guide on the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? On Thursday, ESPN Chairman Jimmy Patero and Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont marked ESPN's 44th anniversary at the network's Bristol headquarters as September 7th is now ESPN Day in the state. On ESPN Day Eve, Patero moderated a conversation with New York Giants legend Eli Manning at the Paley Center for Media in New York City. Before reviewing highlights from his chat with the Manningcast co-host, I wanted to address the pronunciation of his last name. Commonly called Pitaro, an ESPN PR representative noted Jimmy says Pitaro, so I will follow suit. As the two-time Super Bowl MVP begins Season 3 of Monday Night Football with Peyton and Eli, Eli explains his transition from the field to TV, thanks in part to Zoom. Patero shares how COVID-19 factored into his courtship of Eli's big brother and helped lead to them broadcasting from their homes. When you did hang him up, did you have any idea that you were going to go into the media business, the broadcasting business? No, I really, uh, it was kind of the opposite. I, I, I really had no interest in getting into to broadcasting. And, and Peyton, I talked to Peyton about it for a while. Um, he had been retired longer than me. And, you know, and as you know, to kind of to do to be a broadcaster for a Monday night game, um, you know what what Troy and and, and uh, Buck are doing. I mean, they they're they're going to Saturday morning practice for whatever game they're playing. They're watching. They can watch that practice. They can meet with the home team. They're going to meet with the away team on Sunday. They're going to do the game Monday. They're back. They're back to their hometown on Tuesday. So they might be flying in Friday night. So I was like. I I got young kids. I want to coach them in sports. I want to be around. I've missed so much time to be gone on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I just, it just doesn't sound appealing to me. I also didn't think I'd be very good uh, at at doing games and broadcasting and and doing the normal way. And so really had no interest in doing it. I, I retired a month later, we hit COVID. And so like I was, you know, at home, again, at a third grade, first grade, pre-K and a one-year-old at home. I'm teaching third grade math. I'm doing rhombuses and quadrilaterals. So, you know, I just retired. After like three months of doing that, I'm like, I'm definitely going back to play. I'll play, I'll play anywhere. Maybe in a training camp now screw this only a giant thing. I'll be San Diego. Broadcasting, and started talking with, with with Peyton about this idea of kind of just you know people were more used to seeing you know seeing people on Zoom. <coughs> we had done a few of these kind of Zoom um, you know interviews you know, while the Super Bowl was being played that year in Tampa, and Tampa was playing the Chiefs, and I'm sitting there with Jimmy Johnson and, and Terry Bradshaw, and it was it was the same idea what Peyton and I are doing now, but. It just didn't have a, a real game plan to like what you were supposed to talk about or how the flow was, and so Peyton and I, you know, kind of talked and said we could we could do this a little bit better, and you know what it would be like to watch a game with us. We don't have to talk about the first and ten run for two yards. Like no one really cares about that unless you're a diehard fan. You might of that team. You might care about it, but let's you know let's do it 
like if we were in a game, you know, me and you sitting here watching the game, what would it be like? Snoop Dogg always pops my house on Sunday afternoon <laughs> you know, for games. That just happens. And so that's kind of where this idea started from. And I was like, oh, this sounds fun. I'm, like, I'm with my brother. It's casual. I know I can make fun of him. I know he can make fun of me. We're not going to be sensitive about it. If I make a mistake, like... I'd rather him call me out on it than, than the media call me out on it. And I know he's not going to miss an opportunity to call me out on something. So uh, it was, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. I have made like three or four trips to Denver to see your brother trying to recruit him for man, oh, yeah, the regular broadcast. Sure. And each year I felt like I got a little closer. <laughs> and then uh, we had Kirk Herbstreit get COVID. Uh, and he called the game from his basement, and Peyton called me and said, can I do that too? Yeah, that's where the idea and, I, and I said, yes. I don't even, even think he got the sentence. <laughs> and then, you know, I, of course, love the idea of two brothers doing it, and especially, you know, being a huge Giant fan and a huge fan of yours. Um, it's been a dream come true for me and for so many people at ESPN. So, so thank you. Patero touts the success of the Manning cast, and Eli describes why he believes it's gained a following. Let's talk about the Manning cast of Monday Night Football with Peyton and Eli. So, look, we, we got something special here. Uh, definitely caught on uh, the zeitgeist. Ratings have been fantastic. We've been around a million and a half viewers for an alternative broadcast. number we've ever done for an alternative broadcast, probably by a million viewers per week. Anyway, it's just been a, a, a complete success for us on so many levels. Uh, why do you think, so you talked before about the uh, This Is Sports Center video, right. um, a commercial, and it's funny, when we were evaluating the show and the potential, we watched that This Is Sports Center like 30 times as, an, as a uh, production team. Because the spirit that was captured in that in that commercial uh, is what we want and what we now see kind of permeate throughout every week on Monday Night with Peyton and Eli. So, why do you think is is it the authenticity, the sibling rivalry, Peyton's forehead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it is that. I think it's. Um you know, also just, you know, given, you know, it's not, it's not too much football, like it's a little football, but when we give it a nugget, it's pretty good, like inside intel to, hey, this is what the quarterback's thinking right now. This is what the, you know, coordinator should be calling two plays to the quarterback and running a pass and then get up and there's not enough time to call a timeout. Like we're thinking about, you know, what should be going on at this moment. We're not predicting the plays. We're not guessing what, you know, what plays are going to be called, but you know, uh, we're not analyzing as much as the last play as kind of telling you what what's going on at, at this moment and what should be you know what should be happening. Uh, you know, from the defensive standpoint, the offense of, of what's going on. I think also, um, yeah, I think just kind of that brotherly communication. I think the fact that you know we're gonna call each other out. I think the fact that it's pretty raw. Like I remember after the, the first week we did it. Uh, we're like, hey, we're going to do the first, and Peyton and I were both nervous, and Peyton was really nervous the first week, and he's going like, we don't have enough stuff, we don't have enough skits, I'm like, we don't need skits, we have the football game, I mean, we can talk football, a play can happen, and we can relate it to another play, and have a story, he's like, no, like, I want to have a helmet, and you're going to have the, the, the headset, and you're going to pretend to be the coach, and you're going to call a play, and I'm like, alright, fine, like, we'll try it. 
And you know, sure enough, like he he gets to put the helmet on, it doesn't fit. I can't fit. He's like missing plays. He's like, I don't. What's what's the play? Like, hurry up! But I can't get his helmet. And I'm like, all right. And so, like the next, I remember the next week we did like a little uh, debrief. Hey, what worked? What didn't work? What we need to improve on? Improve on? I'm like, well, I think that helmet idea was like really good. And and, and, like the producer's like, well, it was like the number one hit on social media. so we need more bad ideas to be popular. And they're like, well, you know, some yes. Uh, so I think that's like, you know, we can call each other out for it. And it's just like, we're going we're gonna to try things out. We're going to be pretty raw. I think also like, I, I blame you for this, but um, y'all didn't teach us any rules to how to be a broadcaster. Like, we had a streaker on, and like, we're analyzing the tackle of the streaker. And like, you can't talk about the streaker. Like, you didn't tell us that. No one told us that. I gave the double bird on national TV. No one told me. I, I thought we were delayed. Like, like, we have no idea what we're doing, really. Uh, we're two brothers watching a football game on TV, and it's it's kind of stayed that way, and and it's supposed to be different than than, than the normal broadcast, and and we want to we want to keep it different. Authenticity, that's why it's working. Yeah. Eli does not consider himself a media member as he discusses his analytical approach. I don't know if I consider myself part of the media and, and broadcast. Uh, I, I still like feel like a player, and I think I, you know, really, you know, it's important for me to truly like resonate as a player, you know, and I try to do that with the Giants and do that with old teammates. And when I'm calling games, I think Peyton and I, you know, really try to be overly positive about, you know, what's going on. And I, and, and I can see it. I think as you get older, you forget how hard it is to play quarterback in the NFL. And you can like, oh, I would never make that throw. I'm like, well, I've made that throw. I'm still, it's still fresh in my mind. Like I've made every interception. I've made so many bad decisions. So I'm not going to be that critical person. Like happy to do that because I've, you know, I've done it and and I haven't forgotten about it. It's still pretty fresh. And so I think just trying to be, you know, positive. I, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the guys that you know I'm calling games for. Um, hey, we're going to want them to come on the show in a few weeks and, and, be, a, and be a guest uh, for the players. So I know them personally. They've been to our football camps. I've, you know, have, you know, real relationships with them and, and friendships with them. So I think, you know, trying to be one of the guys, be one of the players and, and resonate with how hard it is and what they're going through is, is important for me. One of those players he might want on his show is his successor with the New York Giants. Eli tells a story of how a visit this summer from Danny Dimes has led to his wife's return to MetLife Stadium. Daniel Jones, yep. what's your relationship with Daniel? Uh, Daniel and I are great, great, great friends, and uh, uh, <coughs> you know, he, he came out this summer and stayed with me for a couple days. We played in a golf tournament uh, together. Uh, you know, went, went and had dinner, uh, worked out with some. Uh, he said he wanted to, you know, Sunday. He said, hey, I need to get a workout or I need to throw some. So I, I gathered up some high school kids and, and, uh, and, and yeah, made them run routes for them. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we, we get along well. And it's been, I was telling you a little bit about it. About, you know, when I retired, I think when I retired, it's harder. And, you know, that last year they drafted Daniel Jones. I think that was harder on my wife than it was on me. I kind of saw it, you know, kind of the, the writing on the wall and knew, knew this was coming, had to come. And, and was kind of okay with it and fine with it and, and understood it. And, and so my wife has not been to a game uh, since I retired the last few years. And I take, I take my kids, I thought she just, 
I don't really know why. I thought you just like, like I'm taking four kids away on a Sunday most of the day. She's like, hey, I got a free Sunday to do what I want. And then, so this year we got the game coming up on Sunday. I'm like, hey, I'll take, you know, you know a couple kids might be late. She's like, well, I want to go to the game. I'm like, really? Like, you haven't been to a game? She says, well, I met Daniel. I really like him. So I, I'm okay. I'm like, oh, okay. So she's back in. So Daniel, I uh, talked to him. And I told him, I told Daniel, um, you know, kind of that, that you know, first year after, you know, when I just retired, I said, Daniel, I'm, I, I'm going to be, I want to be a resource for you. I'm happy to give you any advice. I'm never going to reach out to you and give you advice that's unwanted or not asked for. But if you call me or text me, I'll drop, I'll, I'll come in the facility, uh, I'll meet with you uh, about anything. And so that, that's kind of the way it's been. Uh, I had breakfast with him when he was dealing with some contract stuff. We met with him about players and stuff. And so we, we, you know, communicate texts and and uh, and have become you know it's a, it enjoy being kind of a part of what what's going on and, and watching his success. Patero digs into what makes a great quarterback and wonders whether Jones and other young signal callers succeed early because they've been raised to multitask. Eli says they start earlier. What's the most overlooked trait of a quarterback? Um, I I, I think it's. It's just the ability to process information really fast, and I don't know how you look for that. I think I think arm strength is overrated. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter as a quarterback, you don't have to be able to throw it 70 yards to be successful. You know, usually your longest throw is is maybe 52 yards. So if you can throw it 52 yards, you're fine. If you can throw it 70, if you can throw it 98, it doesn't really help that much, make a big you know big difference. So I think that's kind of arm strength is overrated. I think I don't and I don't know how you just to you know, be able to process information very quickly. Hey, this linebacker's here, so that's gonna tell me this is gonna be cover three, this is my best, you know, where, where I should start this read and how, how to get through you know, where the ball might be going as fast as possible and, and make those fast decisions. And that just, I think, just come, you know, it's hard to like do a test to test that and to see that. But those are the, you know, the Joe Burrows and the Mahomes and the Josh Allens and, and these guys that are playing so great. You, you see them process it and get, you know, make such fast decisions. Um, and, and, and that's why they're so successful. It's more of a quarterback league than it's ever been. And someone said to me recently that the reason why these guys are so good now is because they grow up with all of these options. Like, they're multitasking all of the time. Like I'm sure Joe Burrow a few years ago was playing video games on Instagram with Netflix in the background, right. doing his homework at the same time. They're processing all the. Yeah, you believe any of that? Does that resonate with you? It might. Yeah, it might be. I, I think it's. I think it's just because you know now these kids are doing seven on seven. You know when they're when they're eight years old and they're playing flag football and they're just they're playing at a younger age and they're throwing it. It's spread offense. Uh, on your middle school team. Like my middle school team, we maybe threw it five times a game. In high school, I was throwing it 12 times a game and I was under center. I never took a shotgun snap in high school. And so it's just a different world now. It's seven on seven, they're throwing it, they're running the same schemes in high school that they're probably running in college and they're running similar stuff now in the NFL. So it's just, they're just more in tune to what's going on, seeing different defenses, processing all that information faster. And so they can they can start playing at an earlier age uh, to the NFL game where it used to be like a three or four year process to like get ready for that NFL speed and the 
in the systems and now they're just they're used to it early on and they can adjust faster. Patero asks Eli to relive his Saturday Night Live experience and compare playing QB to hosting SNL. SNL 2013. <laughs> <laughs> you are uh, you get a call from Warren Michaels. I, I mean you, you're not a typical choice no. right, to host SNL. How did that happen? Uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he actually, so Peyton hosted in 2007 after he just won his Super Bowl. We went the Super Bowl in 2000, 2007. You know, he invited Lauren, calls me 2008 actually to host SNL. I said, I'm not ready. I'm just like, I just had some, like, one successful, you know, season basically. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I don't want to do it right now. I said, and I just kind of said it like nonchalant. It's like when I win the sec when I win my second one, then I'll do it. <laughs> sure enough, four years later, I win the second one. He's like, and you're doing it. Like you're already committed. Like <laughs> I'm like, all right. I feel a little bit better in a better place, and uh, and, and and really enjoyed the whole experience. It was pretty pretty fun. I like, and I I went all in, and I, I remember the first meeting. You know, it's almost like in your little room, and all the all the actors and actresses and. They're, they're writers also, and so everybody's in there, everybody's a writer, and they want to write themselves into the skits and everything, and I'm sitting there, and, and I just like, I just told them, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm excited to be here, uh, I'll pretty much do anything except like, if, you know, if I have a Speedo on, that's fine, but I don't want to go like anything less than that. <laughs> and I said, but I'm not an actor, so like, if I'm reading your joke, or if I'm reading something, and I'm not, and I'll read it right, just like, tell me, I'm very coachable, and I want to be <laughs> So just coach me up, and I, I think they appreciated that, they coached me a lot, they were like yelling at me, like, no, I want you to say this. But, like, it was a fun week, and, and, and that I did it, I don't know if I, you know, I wouldn't be asked to do it again, but I don't know if I'd ever do it again either. Well, I mean, crazy pressures, live, national television broadcast, was that, more or less pressure than a Super Bowl? I think less. I remember. I remember. I was sitting there, and you know, you know the like the iconic scene. You know, the start of you know Saturday Night Live, and they, you know, they kind of look at the band and have like that door, and you're walking, you walk through the door. So I'm sitting in the back, and it's this one little kind of lady who like tells you when to go, and I'm honestly just like sitting like this. I'm like. <laughs> She's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Like, like, most people are pacing and they're like sweating and like really nervous. I'm like, I do live every Sunday, lady. <laughs> hit me <laughs> and if I screw up like I'm a dumb jock anyway it doesn't matter an actor who screw up Saturday Live it, it could be right. it could, like screw up your career like nothing's gonna screw up I'm still gonna go play football uh, you know in a few days so I'll be fine <laughs> On TV's biggest stage, Eli won Super Bowl 42 with a scramble completion to David Tyree and Super Bowl 46 with a sideline pass to Mario Manningham. Patero asks which brought Eli more pride. Uh, let's talk about these two games. All right. Well, let's talk about two specific plays. Okay. So, you know where I'm going. Yeah, I think so. I'm putting you on the spot. So, the Tyree and the Manningham passes. Yeah. yeah. Which one are you more proud of? Um, <laughs> more proud of? I, I'd say the Manningham one I'm more proud of just because it was like, uh, it's what a quarterback's supposed to do. He's supposed to drop back and throw a pass like over the guy's shoulder one time. Uh, the Tyree one was just a total chaos of, of a play, scrambling, almost getting sacked. It's like the biggest no-no of a quarterback. It's like, don't throw it in the middle of the field. <laughs> 
40 yards now, where you have one player and they have four guys kind of nearby. So uh, I guess more proud, uh, maybe you know, that I was able to grow a little bit and and and, and uh, maybe improve uh, our two-minute drives and like that final drive in that second Super Bowl was was clockwork. It was just like how you're supposed to have a two-minute drive. They blitz. We threw hots. They played two, we ran the ball. We took our time, we got down there. The one, the first one was like almost interceptions, almost sacks, <laughs> fourth and ones. It was total chaos, um, but you know, they both, both somehow worked out. Eli would have enjoyed Peyton's apoplectic analysis of the Tyree drive on the Manning cast. Maybe my favorite thing in the world is to see someone like uh, every game i'm like i just need someone to mismanage a two-minute drive here and like to see like the veins like, <laughs> turning bright red and call 85 timeouts in a row like that's that's my favorite thing maybe in the world right now <laughs> the first of 10 editions of monday night football with peyton and eli on espn2 will air monday september 11th as the jets host the bills They'll return October 2nd with the Seahawks versus the Giants. The slate includes an Eagles Chiefs Super Bowl rematch on November 20th and a January 15th wildcard game. Thanks for listening to Believe in the Media Guide. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes and find us wherever you get podcasts, including Believe.com. That's B L E A V.com. I'm on X at Hotem, H O T H E M, as in Mary. Stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.